Welcome to the Elevate Podcast. This is episode 32. I am your host, Tyler Johnson. My guest this episode is a broadcaster. He had been broadcasting football and other sports for the last decade on the Pac-12 networks, Fox, ESPN, Turner, Sirius XM, The Bleacher Report, and more. He is the own host of his amazing podcast, The Yogi Roth Show. How Great Is Ball, which is in season five. We have that linked up here. Go check that out. He's a filmmaker, a speaker, a moderator, an author. He co-authored the New York Times bestseller, Win Forever, with head coach Pete Carroll of the Seattle Seahawks. He was also an assistant coach at USC. He's traveled to over 30 countries in the world. He has done about everything. He is a great guy. Check this episode out. I hope you enjoy it as much as I enjoy my conversations with Yogi. Welcome to the Elevate Podcast, Yogi Roth. yogi i'll tell you what man i gotta be blunt from jump i love what you do i see i consume your content we've connected what years ago now and watching it go from where you started obviously it's been a journey that i don't know anything about but i just didn't do in the social media thing so congratulations i want to start there with you man like kicking uh, some you know what i uh, try and inspired by people like yourself so um appreciate the kind words um also being blunt you're probably tired because you have a new baby at home is that right as well yeah i haven't hit the crash yet like we uh we're trying sleep training okay yeah no so he's about seven seven weeks old today and uh last night was the second night and first night we were like man this is no problem cake we're rolling last night dude changed it up on us so uh but it's cool man it's really fun to to be part of little changes like that. It makes you really be present. Like you, we think we are until you have a kid yeah. that like survives or like needs you to survive. You're like, yeah. oh, okay. Let's click into that mode. Yeah, they will, they will demand some things of you when they want them. <laughs> For <laughs> but, real, uh, yeah. But no great, negotiation. Great little teachers they are. Um, in your career, man, sports, travel, uh, man, all those things are kind of out of whack right now. How are you dealing with all this? What does your fall look like? What's shaking in Yogi's world? I didn't know. What's going on? They're out of whack? <laughs> a little off schedule. Yeah, yeah. We are uh, we're dramatically off schedule. Um, what's going on in my life? There's a lot going on in my life. Uh, and I think for me, I'm a process-oriented guy, so I have to process it. right? Like Friends of mine would hopefully say Yogi doesn't get uh, anger very often or upset very often. And I would say, well, when it, those things come, I just deal with them quickly. These have been harder to deal with, right? Yeah. Like the loss of a football season, the day it happened, I interviewed Commissioner Larry Scott. I'm in it, like prep the night before, the day of. It didn't hit me till like a week later that I was like, whoa, since I was 13 or 14, I've done football. And my body clock, my biorhythms, changed you know so i had to deal with that like and it took me a couple days and i told my wife i was like i'm depressed like i'm bummed and i get it i support it i double down on it i think it's the right move but it still doesn't change like that it's been challenging so life for me is is that it's like meeting those challenges head on not being afraid of them you know feel that fear and and try to work through it through communicating so 
Luckily, I got two kids that, you know, make it a lot lighter whenever, when anything kind of can seem a little gloomy. Sure. Well, finding humanity and amazing stories within sports and around the world is kind of one of your fortes. Is there a story that, you know, within this kind of troubling time that you found some humanity and, and some positivity in? Oh, yes. Yeah, so many. Um, I interviewed a woman named Scout Bassett. And okay. I don't know if you know her but check her out and anyone listening, go check her out. Um, I've had the pleasure over the course of the, the spring time here uh, and summer to do this new uh, series where I'm interviewing a bunch of people, at, even amid COVID and super social distancing. But I sat down with Scout, broad brushstrokes of her story. When she was less than a year and a half, she was burned in a fire in China. She lost her leg. Her parents, uh, then put her on the doorstep of a state-run orphanage in China. Whoa. She had not, she did not see sunlight. She did not see a book. She did not see a TV until she left that orphanage at eight years old. Wow. She uh, was treated as poorly as one might imagine. Um, and so much so that, you know, she didn't have the medical treatment she needed. So she built her own prosthetic out of nuts and bolts, masking tape and a leather belt that she still has to this day. Fast forward, and what is she doing now? She's the fastest woman in America in the 100-meter dash for the Paralympic Games. Holy cow. And when I sat down with her and she told me her story in beautiful depth that would make anyone tear up, what she said in the middle of it really struck me. She goes, Yogi, I've learned that all we got is all we need. And I came home and told my wife that. Um, I bring our five-year-old sometimes to those shoots, the interviews, and it's just a reminder, like Pac-12 Networks, we just laid off her furlough to um, more than half the company, I think, wow. you know? And mm -hmm. I was impacted by that as well. So like you, you, you just remind yourself, like you, all you got is all you need. And that, that to me is a story that I've hung my hat on. I've told her that many times. And, and I think I'll carry that one for a long time. Uh, and I think a lot of people I tell it to will too, because some have said I've wrote it on my whiteboard. You know, I, I just wrote it, it down. Yeah. <laughs> so for her to say, all I got is all I need. She also, when she went for her Olympic dream, she quit her job where she was making bank or making good money in medical sales, had a company credit card, the whole thing. And she lived in her Toyota Corolla and she said, I got to go for it. Right. So she didn't speak any English. She came to America at eight years old at 22 pounds. No one ever said she could do anything. And then she found sport. She found movement and found play. And now she's inspiring people all over the globe. Yeah, that's, a, that's an amazing story. I love all we got is all we need. I like that too. That'll, that'll get repassed on for sure. So um, a lot of power in those words. Uh, your affinity for travel and sport. I know from being a college athlete, a lot of my teammates first experience getting on a plane and doing some traveling. Um, sports initiates so much of that for so many athletes. What is one of the lessons or a couple of the lessons that you take away from all your travels? Oh, there's one. There's the biggest one to me is always every trip I've ever been on over 30 countries. I always go to see something, right? I want to go see the waves in San Sebastian, Spain. I want to see Christ the Redeemer in Rio. I want to see whatever. I want to see uh, the Wailing Wall in, in Israel. And we all go to see something. And what we end up doing is we end up seeing ourselves in a different light. And I just believe that that is for me, the definition of travel. 
We go to see something, but we end up seeing ourselves in a different light because traveling and walking these streets you don't know and trusting your instinct. And for me, talking to myself or talking in your journal, however it is you process, you process change. And I think you, you take time to take stock in who you are. And, and I just think that's, that's, that's the serendipitous beauty of travel. And from that, I believe the only job in life that you have and that I have is to give everything away. So the only way to give anything away is to go gain it. So go travel, go seek, go explore, go uncover, go ask questions, go sit down and listen and learn and meditate, whatever it is, gain it all and then give it all. And yeah. I think if you don't travel, you can do some of it on social media. You can do some of it now because of the internet, but I think you got to put yourself in the environment. I just believe that you, you got to put your feet there and, um, it's been the greatest educator to me by far. No doubt. Um, being a former college coach, you mentioned, you know, the Pac-12 kind of situation. What do you find more most disappointing or discouraging if you were a, a college athlete right now? What, what makes you, what saddens you for them, I guess, perhaps? Yeah, that's, well, the first thing that comes to mind for me is like the lack of unity among the power brokers. But I don't think that really impacts an athlete. That impacts me. I think that impacts you if you're a little more seasoned. I think for them, it's probably, they probably don't have a consistent amount of answers. Right? If I'm a football player and let's just say I play at Penn State, sure. I could be Sean Clifford, who I love, by the way, and Pitt's playing. High school football is happening, but you, you're not playing. And that has nothing to do with you. That has to do with other schools in the Big Ten footprint. That has to do with medical advice that they've gotten. And then certain kids in – I mean, you just saw Jamie Newman, quarterback at Georgia, yeah. who I love, Wake Forest transfer. He just opted out because of COVID-19 to train for the draft. This year would have been a year, and they're playing where he could have – Showing up for the draft. So the courage he had to have to say, you know what? I don't feel comfortable playing in this crazy conference, fan rat. Like, they're insane. I, I, the whole thing about the SEC is bonkers <laughs> to me. Um, yeah. And I, don't, I, I say that very regularly. Um, I, I think of guys like that. Like, I, I just think the inconsistencies. You know, you grow up in sports and the rules are the same, mm -hmm. you know. And no matter where you come from, when you step – in between the white lines or onto the court or onto the pitch or onto the diamond, like the game's the same. And now I feel like in college, like there's so many other things happening. Uh, so I think I, I feel for them there. And then I feel for their environment, like being around the guys in the locker room um, is one of the greatest memories, you know, you know, that, that we can have. Sure. And that, and they're not having a lot of that. Yeah. And then I also feel for the college experience, like for as much as we talk about paying players and all that, like there's still, I think, a huge discussion around the education. And I think a lot of education is about sitting in a room and hearing somebody from a different part of the world talk about why they went to college. Like, I'll give you a story. And I know I'm rambling here. No, okay. I was in Berkeley two, two or three summers ago. It was Justin Wilcox's first season. Okay. And I went to uh, Blue Bottle Coffee which I always like hitting which, up Hold up. You're a big Cortado fan as well, right? Yeah. That's, yeah, yeah me too. I always, I was like, yeah. Kevin Carroll loves that too. If you, if you're looking yeah. for a comparison there, he's I did, who's I my know. guru. 
All right. All right. Yeah. We had him on the podcast not too long ago. Oh, perfect. I yeah, love that. Yeah, he was great. That. So, all right, go go to the Berkeley coffee shop. Sorry. So I'm in this Berkeley coffee shop and I walk in and I'm talking to this young woman and I'm asking her how she's doing as a student. I'm just trying to gain insight on what college is like. And she goes, you know, it's hard right now because I'm from, and I don't want to butcher the country, but she was from, I think, either China or Japan. And she goes, I can't register for the one class that I need because athletes get to register first. And I don't know if I'm going to be able to register and if I don't, I'm going to have to pay for another semester. Oh, yeah. And I sat there and I was like, wow, do athletes realize how good they got it? So then I told Justin and he, I think he ended up bringing her in to speak to his team. So guys recognize that, hey, like I get to go apply for my classes a week before regular students and my school is paid for and she's paying her own way. And when I just take it for granted, like that's a big miss. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I think that type of understanding from athletes I think they're missing that in college now. It's all about them. It's all about their team and their coaches on Zoom like we are, but they're not getting like what the educational experience provides, which is eye-opening to other cultures, other demos, where people are from, other stories, how to learn, tutors, teachers, classmates. So I I feel for that. Um, I do. Yeah, me too. The... Something you tweeted recently I saw caught my eye, reminded me I had a was blessed to have a professor in the business school in college that was also our NCAA liaison for like academics and athletics. So if you were an athlete in his class, he put the screws to you. But one of the things he made us do was people that had jobs or gigs that we thought we might want, desire, call them up, get them on the phone and interview them. And so you had tweeted recently something about, you know, these athletes that might have time, scour your alumni list, figure out who those people are, get to know them, start to branch out. I, I thought it was awesome. I, I think it's great advice. Even you don't have to be in college to start doing those kind of things. Can you talk a little bit about why and maybe how you've seen the value of being a former athlete coach uh, in broadcasting now, the value of networking and, and kind of the power that athletes can leverage? Well, think about it. Where you, you went to school, if anybody called you or emailed you, you'd hit them back instantly. They jump right to the top of the inbox, right? And I feel the same way. Pitt, SC, anybody in the Pac-12 hits me up, right to the top of the inbox. And I always remind athletes, and I do a lot of work with quarterbacks when their careers are over. They're like, what do I do next? And I was like, well, have you leveraged your community? And most haven't because ah, the, the craft, it's so much time, it's this, or they just don't care, didn't recognize it. And it's all BS, like there's time. I, I brought this up with a guy named Gary Vaynerchuk a couple of years ago, we did a talk to USC. And what he said was fascinating. He goes, yeah, Yogi, no longer do you have to get three business cards after practice. You can send three DMs. So if you want to talk to Casey Wasserman, who's running the Olympics in LA, you yeah. could send him a DM. He's going to know you as a UCLA football player, as, as an example. And you can go up and down the list at every institution. So I, I just think that the opportunity is, is easier than ever before. Um, and it should be taken advantage of. And when I kicked that out, I got so much feedback that I said, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have my own internship. And I usually have an apprenticeship every fall. I started with Max Brown a couple of years ago, former quarterback. And I bring in somebody, I teach them how to be a broadcaster and they support me on my podcast and other things. Cool. And I'm going through all the applications now. And it's, it's terrible because every one I watch, I'm like, I'm going to hire you. <laughs> I'm going <laughs> to hire you. Like they're, they're so impressive, um, but they're doing it. And I just urge... I urge every athlete to try to do 12 of them this semester. Can you have 12 
digital internships, 12 shadow ships and a cup of coffee. Like, can you create your network and take advantage of the game or the game's just going to take advantage of you and you're going to be left kind of holding your helmet saying, Hey, I wish I, I utilized the power of this logo. Totally. I remember I did a couple extra for this project and my friend was like, what are you doing? I'm like, this is fun. <laughs> like, and a couple of those things that even, you know, reciprocated years later, which was, which is pretty cool. So, um, reach out there, find someone, get to know them. Great advice, Yogi. Uh, ball is life. One of the things you, you say, we'll have the t-shirts linked up to this podcast as well. Go get yourself one. Uh, when it comes to leadership in ball is life, you've been around the game a lot. Uh, what are three qualities that make a great, great leader on and off the field? Yeah, good question. I think, um, I'm stealing one of them from Kobe. I, I listened to him on a podcast with Jay Shetty and it was amazing. A storytelling podcast before he passed away. And he said, when he was a younger teammate, he wasn't compassionate or empathetic. And it took him to the back half of his career to really be that way. So I think that's, that's the first two. Uh, I think you have to have great empathy, especially now. You know, we're seeing everyone get tested. Leadership position in your home, in your business, in the greater good of the country or the world. We're seeing leadership be blatantly terrible and it'd be brilliantly amazing. And I think it's those that have empathy are the ones that, uh, that can begin the opportunity to, to lead well. I think coaches are doing a really good job of this of trying to see like, where are my kids coming from? What's their mental health like? You know, let, let me just try to put myself in their shoes for a second. How about their parents? Like how nervous they are? Like Larry Scott had a uh, Zoom call with like, I think 1200 parents of Pac-12 athletes. Wow. I mean, think of what David Shaw, when he told his players the season was canceled, they said, Thanks, coach. And they were, he defined it as uh, the, the amount of gratitude was, was, was surprising to him. Like kids were so grateful. It's because he's empathetic. So that's one. I think two is you have to have a sense of compassionate, but principles. You know, you can't just be uh, a softball that's just going to get rolled over, but you have to compa right. have compassion, understand where people come from. And that to me is all emotional intelligence, which would be loosely defined as the capacity to deal with your thoughts, the thoughts of others with empathy in real time. Like, so I think you have to have those two, but have principles associated with it. So guys can't get out of bounds, you know, or employees can't get out of bounds. You've got your guardrails, but you're compassionate and you're empathetic throughout it. And then I think the final one, and I believe this, I think now more than ever, you've got to listen. Like, look what's going on with uh, racism in our country, right? And the anti-racist movement, yeah. right? One might be uh, shocked, awed, angry if they see looting defined as looting right and the minute you listen you recognize like nobody it, granted this is a general statement but it's not the traditional definition of looting to loot it is hey man like do you hear me yeah. do you hear me and that's yeah. what coach carroll said so brilliantly over the weekend when he had his press conference that i'm sure your listeners have watched if not linked to it where he's like, our athletes are saying, do you hear me? Our black athletes are saying, do you hear me? The black students I talked to in the Pac-12 are saying, do you hear me? And if you don't, like, I need to rattle some cages so you feel me. Yeah. So I, I think the greatest leaders, compassionate, empathetic, and they listen. And I think you have to need to listen like your life depends on it because you can miss something that falls through the cracks. Yeah. And, and those that don't, and those that just talk, like we've got a leader in our country who just talks. I got no problem saying that. And I know this isn't a political show, but 
it is the worst definition of leadership in the history of the of like the study on leadership, in my opinion, at least in this, in this century. So I, uh, I think you need those three things in this day and age, especially when so many people have a voice and a platform and an ability to just, to utilize it. Yeah. I was going to uh, call an audible on a question here because you made me think of it and then you led into it with, with Pete's uh, recent uh, conversation that he, he had had during the press conference you know, reading, reading the book you guys wrote, I know Pete, how much time he's spent in a a varied amount of environments during recruiting. And I think listening, spending time around him, he's a great listener, but what are some other things that have made him, I think be a timeless kind of coach and leader. And I think at least he evolves and he continues to lead. Um, What makes him so special that way? Oh, gee, I, I just think at the end of the day, what I always think about Pete is that his ability, like his ability to listen is really special. I mean it, man. Like, it is really special. Like, he can, you can get him for 10 seconds after practice, and you could feel like those are the only 10 seconds that matter. You can get him for an hour and you feel, you feel this exact same thing. And you could be uh, Steve Kerr. You could be uh, somebody he's never met before, you know, or anyone in between. He, he just makes you feel that way. You know, I, I've never seen that consistently from, from anybody. Like it, it's elite. He's elite as a communicator. I was, somebody told me that uh, I was talking to an old teammate who, who this is going to sound like the craziest sentence. An old teammate was hanging out president obama and he was like when you're connected to him like it just feels different yeah. i think pete has that he's elevated in that regard he because he has great empathy and compassion and you know th- think about some of the instances that have happened when he was a coach the negative ones right where earl thomas giving him the bird during a game Pete was like yeah i get where he's coming from you know like think about that like the empathy you have to have in real right. time yeah. what name another nfl coach like, what would nick saban say or what would bill belichick say right i don't know but i can't imagine it being that right right so that that's that's where i go he's he's special there and he hurt his players and that was uh that was really impressive no doubt uh, last question to wrap up um what drives you yogi what drives you? You're a searcher of humanity, a traveler of the world. You make ball as life turn into so many lessons for so many others. Um, what drives you? You talked about the, the gaining to give. Is that it? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I was talking to a um, former coach at Washington, Chris Peterson, and he's helping me a lot. Like, he's just a guy to talk to all the time. And, you know, I'm always bouncing like, hey, this is like, I tweaked my philosophy a little bit, or this is kind of where my vision is for life. And, and I think as a dad of two now, what drives me is, is making sure that everything is connected. And I think for me, that's really important because I am the ultimate, that looks awesome. I'm going to the left and I never planned on going there. Yeah. that's been my life. I, I would define my life as a jack of all trades. Probably. I think I'm a master at like college football. Not going to put so much time into it. I've got mastery around it, but I've yeah. also often been defined as jack of all trades, master of none, because I'm not going to tweet about college football every day of the year for 365 days. Like maybe Kirk Herbstreit would like, I'm going to tell a story about a film. I'm going to talk about scout Bassett. Like I just, 
yeah. that's where my, well, that's where I lean. So what drives me is to tie it together, and that's where the phrase came together of my my only goal is to seek and uncover humanity in sports around the globe. You know, and I say that with my feet firmly on the ground, because that's what drives me. Like I wanna I wanna unearth stories you've never been that have never been told, and I wanna take my kids with me. And I, I told this story. I'm telling a story about this guy named Leo Rogers who's got a he's got one leg and he uh, he's got eight paracycling gold medals, right? So then he's riding a bike with no leg and his leg is, uh, he lost it at the hip. Just imagine that for a second, right? And we went and filmed something with him a couple weeks ago and I brought uh, our five-year-old. That's tying it together, you know? And that's what I'm constantly striving to do. Not easy. I don't think you probably get as much output when you're doing that, but Zane is our five-year-old. He could, if you asked him, hey, what makes uh, a really good video? He'd say, every scene tells a story. You know, like he would be able to tell you like every frame has to do something because he's on my lap watching it at seven in the morning. I, I'm not flying through it like I normally would have sure. um, if he wasn't there. So th- that, that's, that's what drives me. Can I tie it all together? You know, and, and then, you know, I think I'm always, always struggling with the like, are you going for it? Like as big as you want. And I think that definition is so often impacted by what other people are doing. So I, I have to check in with that of like, okay, going for it doesn't mean like you're on game day. Like you want to be on game day, but you don't control that. Like you just control what you do on the platforms you have. I'm calling the Rose Bowl is a career goal of mine, but I can't all of a sudden call it because ESPN owns it and I don't work there. Like I can just treat every game that I called for 20 years like the Rose Bowl. And that's what I do. So I, I think that, I don't think I would have thought that a couple years ago.